I, you have longer hair, my friend. <laughs> I saw yeah. the ponytail in the back, man. <laughs> oh, it's getting there. I'm still dealing with that uh, that stupid burnt hair thing yeah. from like December. Yeah. But it's now getting to the point where I can kind of get it into the pony. Yeah. But, well, I call it a bun. I like the bun. <laughs> but when I walk outside, I got to have a hat or something on, man, because yeah. it just looks so weird. With uh, It looks like a, like a mullet that I have tied up. Cause the front doesn't actually go to the back and you know, it just goes all over. So still some work to do. You look like you're, you're like getting in, you're getting ready for a movie role or something. <laughs> like you're Christian Bale or something. Right? <laughs> I've always said uh, when I started the company, I would never become like the stereotypical entrepreneur. And I feel like that's exactly what I'm doing. Like I'm getting into <laughs> meditation. I'm growing out a man bun. I got a beard a little bit now. Yeah. I dress down for everything, like in kind of the same way. So I'm checking all these boxes, man. Yeah. I promised myself I never would. So. What happened? I mean, <laughs> I, just, I don't know. Maybe there's a reason for it because I just don't have a whole ton of a whole ton of time, I guess, to take care of myself. And <laughs> frank, I, to be frank, I, I know I kind of like the the messy whatever yeah. look like i just rolled out of bed and don't care but i still i'd like to think i look good so yeah yeah other people be the judge sure man how have you been how's life in uh i know you're michigan but how has austin been austin man it's been hot but busy so we're in the midst of just some some crazy explosive growth and just a lot of initiatives which is really exciting. It's extraordinarily exciting. Yeah. Um, but as far as like my time commitment goes, it's gone from like 18 hours a day to like 20 plus <laughs> hours a day. So man, I'm going to bed at like one or 2 AM and waking up before the sun comes up at like 4 30 AM wow. um, just to get this stuff rolling. Um, but other than that, uh, going well, and then back here in Michigan to deal with some family stuff. Mm -hmm. So I've just been able to be around my family. Uh, we've had some some tragedy recently yeah. uh, happened so just have that support and community because in austin right. don't have a whole ton of that so yeah no totally get that how was uh things with the donut i mean it sounds like it's going pretty well for you man yeah it's going really well so i'm able now at this point to kind of extricate myself a little bit from the the day-to-day -day and work on more big picture mm -hmm. which is awesome because to to be frank um I didn't expect a lot of this stuff to happen. This just kind of started with the passion. And now my entire goal is to get this in front of as many people as possible. Cause I mm -hmm. really, and I truly, man, I like, I really believe in my heart of hearts that this could change the world in a positive way. And I want to see that through and I want to make that happen. So it's been really exciting to kind of see the response from people. We've been doing more webinars. So I've been doing more like face-to-face -face interaction with subscribers and people mm -hmm. that you know, read the donut, interact with the donut, enjoy what we do. And that just like fuels the fire even more. Um, Cause I've been really obsessed with this thing called the three and a half percent rule. Recently. What's that? It's uh, it comes from a Harvard professor. I forget her name, but she did an analysis and a TEDx talk on this. Actually, I can send this to you afterwards, but she did an analysis of both violent and non nonviolent civil resistance from like 1900 to 2006. And through this analysis, what she found was non-civil resistance was something like five times more effective than violent civil resistance. But the interesting part, and this is where the three and a half percent rule comes in, the three and a half percent of the general population of whatever country this resistance movement was occurring in seemed to be the tipping point 
for getting the folks in charge to actually take uh, take notice of your position or take notice of your issue and not necessarily like work towards implementing change, but like they have to deal with you at that point. Hmm. And um, with everything going on in the country right now in terms of divisiveness, we have a polarized two-party system, things of that nature. Uh, there's a lot of changes that we as citizens agree on that probably will never be implemented just due to the incentive structure and the way a lot of the powers that be work right now. So my kind of goal with this three and a half percent rule, which would be around 11 and a half million people, which in terms of like monthly distribution or even daily distribution, isn't that far out of the realm of possibility for a media company. So if you can marshal three and a half percent of the population, get three and a half percent of the population behind something, be it like term limits for Congress people, money out of politics, not quite sure what the execution of that looks like yet. But if you can marshal this three and a half percent of the population, that to me is the only way to actually get the folks in power to take notice and push through some of the changes that like 70 to 80 percent of Americans agree on, but will never see become a reality. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's what's the reality of Texas right now? Such an interesting state. Seems like there's a lot going on politically in the news. And certainly Austin seems like a a hotbed of people moving there. Yeah, quite a bit. It's, it's exploding. And one of the things we're also looking into, because we're in the middle of four of the 10 fastest growing cities in the country. That uh, would be Houston, San Antonio, Austin, as you mentioned, and then Dallas-Fort Worth. So these are all in the top 10 um, in terms of just like boom towns, kind of. And it's really interesting because a lot of the folks moving in don't share a lot of the politics you traditionally associate with folks living in Texas. And as you've probably seen, that changes a lot of the, the dynamic from like the mm. Beto O'Rourke race, um, where Texas is becoming a little bit closer to flipping from red mm -hmm. to blue. Um, but as far as just like implementation of policies and stuff like that, it's been interesting being in Austin because there's this running joke in Texas, like Austin's the seat, like a blueberry, mm -hmm. like a, just a tiny blue <laughs> yeah. dot in a, in a sea yeah. of red. And, um, hearing and seeing the governor's policies in terms of like um, no mass mandate for businesses, things like yeah. that. It's interesting to me to see a lot of folks um, push back on a lot of those when in reality, the business, like reality, things didn't change in Austin at all. Mm -hmm. So that policy came through and all the businesses still have mask mandates. There's still yeah. capacity requirements, things of that nature. So as far as like actual on the ground, not a lot of stuff has changed, but the thing that I do really appreciate about Texas is there seems to be this air of, um, I don't really care what you do as long as it doesn't affect me. Let me make my own choices. Yeah. You should be free to make your own choices as well. Right. Yeah, I see. Well, I see a lot of. Um, I have seen information. Was it Governor Abbott? Is your Abbott? Is your governor? And there's a lot of policies being signed and stuff. I see that. I also see apparently Matthew McConaughey is thinking about yeah. for governor. I'm like, what is real here? Like, what is the <laughs> dude? Is are we getting are we getting to idiocracy? Right. We're, I think we're so. Like The Rock is also talking about running. You got Caitlyn Jenner in California. So it's like all of these celebrities are now effectively becoming politicians, and I don't know how I feel about that. 
I think they think it would increase their their uh, star power or something. <laughs> like, it's all about getting attention. Come on, Peter. Oh, <laughs> like, that's all it is. And is it is there a power component to it too? You think? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's like, well, what if I actually do this? Then I'll become even more powerful. I will rule the universe because I'll, you know. But it's not new. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor of California. I mean, it's not Jesse Ventura was like governor of Minnesota. So it would probably do for somebody. <laughs> Why not Texas, man? <laughs> I mean, there there has to be a, a better way to do stuff, right? Than like just a straight popularity contest. I would think so, but how does that change? Because you know, someone like The Rock gets into it. He really automatically has a ton of people who are into it. Like, it's not like you can, not like I can just roll in there and be like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> Everybody's like, who's that? <laughs> wait, wait, well, who are you? <laughs> well, I mean, a, a thing that I've been starting to just realize is I don't think anybody can do governmental jobs as well. Yeah, I just I mean, don't, I just don't think they're set up for efficiency or even I just agree. sense. It's just not. Yeah. And plus you get people who come in with great ideals and you think, man, maybe this person really cares. The machine is too nasty. It's like set up for failure. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. And then you get turned into this weirdo, you know? Yeah. You come in with like the bright eyes, the, yeah. the kind of naivete, I guess. of like, Big speeches, I'm, you know, right. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to be one of the good ones. And then just kind of, I don't know. It, people get stuck in stuff. Yeah. Right? Do you think that's part of it too, where you get so far down something where extra kids, like you got bills, responsibilities, a yeah. mortgage to pay, kids, a family to think about. And at that point, it's easier to just go with the flow than yeah. buck the flow and go against the grain and potentially upset a lot of the stability that you have in, in your life. Yeah. Um, so I, I imagine like there's like a lot of that too. Yeah. And I feel like it's also just Congress stops a lot of dreams of the president whoever's it's like once you get in there and you get oh congress oh we're on this team you're supposed to be on this team i'm supposed to be on that team this is the raiders versus the chiefs okay and like these fans don't like these fans so even if the person is elected they're like well you're not on our team it's just like all these roadblocks you see all those cement cinder blocks when you go in different places like that's all it is is a bunch of roadblocks and stuff and the sad thing to me is like, even if somebody believes something should be done, they will completely dis abandon it if it doesn't align with what a certain party believes in. So they go, eh, yeah. I actually think it's a good idea. I'm not going to vote for it. <laughs> like my party right. says I shouldn't. Right. How do you got to dismantle that? You got to get the, rid of that. Party system, man. Yeah. That's the, the coalition governing, I think would be really interesting. I, like, I'd like yeah. to learn a little bit more about it because I, I don't like this, as you mentioned, just this toe the line or get the fuck out like it yeah just doesn't, I mean, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me especially given the complexity of the issues that we're dealing with now it's yeah. not like you can boil it down into a twitter infographic yeah like there's these we're talking about real <laughs> people real humans affecting real lives yeah. and complex nuanced issues yeah and you just have this is the only answer everything else is wrong it's like really can you really believe that <laughs> it's like I also don't think there should be the, the, the term limits should be shortened for sure. I think in my opinion, I think it's, you know, six years for senators, I think, or something like that. It seems like a long time. I mean, in six years, I'm not going to eat the same lunch every day. I mean, I don't <laughs> want I, my tastes change over six years. I mean, it seems well, a little I'm, cushy to me. 
Yeah. Well, what I'm more talking about, because that's the election cycle as right? every yeah. six years, but there's no actual cap on how many years you can spend at Congress. Like, you just keep getting reelected for the Crazy. six years. So on. And, and that's what you see with a lot of, of the, the career politicians yeah. is there's no incumbent, like they're incumbents. And they don't run against any challengers in yeah. any of their elections. <laughs> so they just have like a, a guaranteed spot in Congress. And as far as the incentive goes, like your incentive is not to get stuff done at that point. Your incentive <laughs> no. is to just not rock the boat so you don't get, uh, so you don't lose your spot. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. Again, I'm not a major fan of that. And I, what I would yeah. like to see is going back to kind of the... Um, I don't know how much you've you've read about like founding the founding philosophy and just like the a lot of the history of that not much but the thought of um civilian representation in government was it wasn't something to aspire to mm-hmm. it was something that you like did your duty and mm-hmm. you went to congress for a couple years and then you recused yourself and you went back to your life with your family or, or yeah. whatever um, cause there wasn't that actually any term limits on a president, I think until after was it Roosevelt. I don't know. I mean, possibly. Yeah. Well, cause the, the precedent was, so Washington, um, could have been like president for life or like King for life, but after the first two terms, he stepped down and that set a precedent. So there wasn't actually anything official. There wasn't anything codified in law or the constitution or documentation that said a president could um, not stay two terms, more than two terms in office. Yeah. But everybody just looked back to Washington. It was like, Washington only stayed two terms. So that's yeah. kind of the precedent. I'm not going to rock that boat. And then I think after Roosevelt, people were like, yeah, I think we need to do something. Yeah. I mean, why would you want to do it a long time anyways? They look like shit anyways half the time. <laughs> they do it. I'm like, yeah. nobody looks great after they're president for a while. Um, it's like a beat up old person. Unless you're Trump. Trump is yeah, the I, same orange guy. They like just look the, terrible the regardless. <laughs> but like Obama was ridiculous. Like you, see, you see him when he comes into office, he's like vibrant, like energetic. Not that he's not now, but like he didn't have any gray in him. Yeah, and he looked old. Yeah, after eight years, and was this the same guy? Really? I don't know. It's just strange. I mean, I feel like things are changing, but uh, it's just a weird time in our existence with government and policy. And you know what's funny? I'm looking at the donut this morning, and I saw the whole headline, the uh, maximum life. Oh, yeah. And I was like, what the hell is this? And so I went down. I was like, whoa, I got to check this out a little bit more. I mean, where did this come from, Peter? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'd love your, uh, your kind of like health and fitness perspective on this. Cause effectively, like what we're talking about is a study that was published in nature communications this week. Mm-hmm. And the study found there was a finite lifespan on our organic bodies, mm-hmm. meaning that our bodies are made of organic matter and they will not last forever. Mm-hmm. So what this study found through study through um, the study of individuals from the US, UK, and Russia was around like 120 to 150 years mm-hmm. was the max that a human body could be alive for or survive yeah. for, uh, which to me is really fascinating. Because like, have you ever watched Altered Carbon? Oh, I've watched both seasons. That's the only way to extend the lifespan, Sex. right? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. To, to be able to download consciousness and then just, I don't know how you make that consciousness <laughs> a physical reality or like yeah. how you actually communicate with your consciousness. But that would be the only know. way to me to like artificially extend that. But I don't know. I'd love your like health and fitness. Perspective. Yeah. I don't, you know, I've had, I actually, I've had a good conversation about this with several of my clients about the concept of immortality and lifespan. And I actually don't think it's a good idea. 
Like, uh, because I don't think, I think a lot of people can't get anything done in this amount of time <laughs> they're doing. Like, if you give somebody like infinite amounts of time, even just say, give them 150 years. Yes, some people will accomplish a lot, but a vast majority of people will just not do a lot. And I think if you imagine if you're, you knew you had that much time and you were, your life was shit. Like, I mean, you're like, I got to endure this for another hundred years, yeah. you know? Let me switch this body. Maybe you and I will switch bodies. We'll, 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 we'll switch cool, our man. stacks, man. <laughs> I'll get your hair. You get mine. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, don't dig it, man. Yeah, I don't know. You know, the yeah, the concept of immortality is, is tough. I don't know that I want to live forever. I really I don't, don't know, man. I I think you're good. You know, you ever seen? So I've seen this vampire movie where, like, you know, they're alive for 500 years and they're so depressed. The guy who plays Loki in Avengers, he's in it. And everybody's so unhappy that they're alive so long. I'm like, yeah, that's probably how it would be, you yeah. know. But I think health and wellness wise, I just think it's so hard for people to get to get to that actual age, 120, 150, because we're very self-destructive with our bodies. And we can't even get we only can get like 20 percent of the population. And that's generous to exercise regularly. Yeah, I'm not sure yeah. most people are making it, even no. if, and you know. Yeah. And the study also stipulated, it's like, this is what would happen in kind of like a closed environment, the least oh, amount yeah. of stressors, <laughs> actually taking care of yourself, like that type of thing. Because the, old, the yeah. oldest recorded person in history was, I think, a French woman. I don't remember her name um, yeah. or where she was from, but it was like 122 years old. Mm -hmm. That's the, the oldest officially recorded human being in history, 122 yeah. years old. And, and, that's and the what, what's that life that. like? I mean, what is that life like at that point? I mean, I don't know. I don't is know. it very exciting? Is it, uh, can you actually move around and do the things you want to do? I mean, there's a lot of factors to that. You know? Yeah. I was just thinking of that too. Cause, um, so my grandpa passed recently and then before that, my grandma passed uh, again recently and they've oh, been God. married 65 years, right? It's oh, a celebration man. of life, right? Like they're yeah. 90 plus years old, uh, surrounded by individuals that love them. These, these amazing, amazing. lives, like these awesome lives. But at the end, I'm going, these, these aren't the people I remember. There's not, yeah. you know, they're not able to move and able to take care of yeah. themselves, sweating themselves, can't even have a conversation with them. I don't know where they are. And I'm just yeah. thinking to myself, like in terms of existence for me at the end, that's not me, right? Like no, I, no. I would not feel like me and I yeah. would not want to endure like that. I just, yeah. Wouldn't. So yeah. if the, the trade-off for immortality is not being myself for a good portion yeah. of it, I don't want that. I think people like they want to be like their 25 year old self or their 35 year old self or 40, whatever. And like, just be like in this form of stasis of that, like it's the static age. You never change from that age. And I think that's the science fiction aspect yeah. of it. Or like an altered carbon, you, you know, you switch out your stack, you get a new skin, you know, you could be a woman, you could be a man, you could, you know, whatever, you know, but I, I think it's like a lot of things. We make up things and we don't know the actual consequences of something like that. It's, you well, know, you get, only look at one side of it. Yeah. Oh, that would be great. You know, don't think about how bad it could be, actually. Right. Yeah. Social media, that would be a great example. Great example. <laughs> yeah. It's like best started maybe with the best of intentions. Like we are going to connect people. We're going to give people the ability to connect with anyone in the world. Yeah. But then the downsides, uh, maybe they were thought about. I don't have an inside look at that but yeah we've obviously seen and encountered the downsides 
but if you follow the narrative that it started from a good place, then yeah, it's exactly what happened. Did you see, I've read some articles lately and I have to be careful about this because maybe it's just the algorithms. I don't know, sending me stuff. (laughs) But I've seen more and more articles about people deleting their social media. I feel like we're coming into like a huge fatigue time. Yeah. uh, For people are like, you know, I'm kind of done with this, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Do you think, like, I just, uh, I don't think human beings were, we haven't evolved yet to encounter the, just the quantity of information that mm-hmm. we get, get tossed at us every single day. Yeah. Like I've started, um, like maybe six or so months ago, I started meditating pretty consistently because I felt like every single day I didn't have control of it. Like I was being reactive instead of proactive. Yeah. And what I realized during the meditation time, it's amazing because I don't know if you meditate, but it mm-hmm. gives me, yeah. It's like the self-reflection aspect of it. You actually get to download on your day to think yeah. about stuff. And that helped me a whole ton. And what I realized was every waking moment from when I opened my eyes to when I went to bed, there was a screen there mm-hmm. and I was absorbing some type of information and it felt fast paced. And I felt like I was missing out on something. Like there was always something more to learn, something more that I could could consume and i i didn't like that feeling at no. all i don't think and anybody brain, likes that no and my brain always just feels like cluttered and all of that and what meditation helped me do is just refocus a little bit more and step away from social media and realize like yeah do i, do I really need it i, I don't know no, 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 not really. <laughs> you know what I do, man? I got a basketball hoop and put it outside of my house and I just shoot hoops for 20 minute intervals here and there. Oh, really? okay. And you know what it is? It's incredibly meditative because it's just you and the ball and the hoop and you shoot hoops, shoot free throws. And I think about my life while I'm playing, just shooting, just me. And there's no screens. There's nothing. It's just me dribbling a basketball shooting some hoops. And it's like, this is the stuff I used to do when I was a kid. And I didn't have, I didn't know about anything else when I was doing this. All I cared about was just playing basketball. And whatever that is, you want to swim some laps underneath the water, the quietness of the water and the movement and this meditation could be many things. I really feel it could be. Do you, uh, I'm sorry. No, go for it. I was going to ask, do you ever, when you're doing the basketball stuff, do you ever pretend like you're making a, like a buzzer beater? Of course. Or, you know, oh yeah. You yeah. To. Yeah. Practice different moves. You know, I'm just like, I don't know, just something about it. Like I was like, I need something in between my sessions where I'm not like just, oh, well, I'm bored. I'm going to just start looking at my phone. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's, I do it every single day, every yeah. single day, like probably four or five times a day. I'm doing that. Just shooting Same. hoops. And that's, that's interesting. So you, so you made the conscious decision to, I guess, air quotes, schedule time in between your sessions mm-hmm. to do something specific instead of knowing that you'll have that downtime. And then maybe in that downtime, if you have nothing to fill it with, you're like, I'll just, you know, fill me up social media or phone yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Like after this, I have an, I have another meeting at like 1 PM and I have a half an hour in between. I'm going to shoot some hoops. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Just, <laughs> And all of a sudden, like 20, 25 minutes goes by. Oh, I'm back in the next thing. But I've, I've, my eyes have been focused on other things beside a screen. And uh, I think we're, on, we're getting back to that as a species. We're like, you know what? We need to figure out how to harness this the right way. This should not be a huge part of our life all the time. You right. know? Because awesome. I don't know. I kind of liked not having, like when I was growing up and I was in my 20s, 
it's like your life was much smaller without this stuff. And it was like, okay, I just worry about school or something. And, you know, the people I know in my atmosphere, you know, around me, and that's kind of it. I had something to eat and I'm call it a day, you know, it's so busy now. I don't know. Yeah. It's like all the noise and you need to be on this. You need to try this. I don't know. Do I? Right. Right. <laughs> why do i need to do that I, who's telling me that <laughs> hey just do and that's my my proponent is, or my advice is do whatever the hell you want to do yeah and as long as it doesn't hurt or impact somebody else find what yeah. you love to do and just keep freaking doing it and that was yeah. a so a question i have for you too because i know there's that dopamine hit obviously mm-hmm. associated with like exercise how do you fit that in? Like, what's your daily routine look like in terms of, of exercise and working out? And like, what do you do to keep your, your mind and your body kind of like tight? Well, I know like for me, uh, I exercise very hard three days a week. I said, that's, that's like my formal structured exercise in the gym or outside. And then everything else beyond that is just like, like I said, playing basketball, taking walks, um, real simple stuff. Uh, like that. I just, I don't know. Activity is like really crucial to me because I'm at the point where it's, I've, I've probably been exercising since I was 15. I'm 43. So I've spent more of my life exercising than not exercising. And now like, it's almost, I was telling my wife this other day. It's like, if I go like four days without moving my body hard and expanding my rib cage and breathing hard, I start to get depressed. And I don't feel good. Like I started feeling pretty bad and get down. And my wife was like, yeah, it's like you're addicted to the feeling of always being uh, your body mechanically moving in a certain way, feeling good. You want that feeling. And but it takes a while to develop that in your life. It's just like you just got to keep doing it. But it's hard when you're doing things that are counterintuitive to you. You Now you're like, well, that seems painful. I don't want to do it. why would i keep doing something that's semi uncomfortable for me is that where the accountability comes in you think yeah with yeah yeah i mean i think the accountability is crucial however that is for you whether it's working with someone like me or whether they have a friend who helps you i don't know whatever use an app that you that you know or you know it's big the aura ring that's like a big thing right now have you heard of this like a mood ring or like what yeah it's a uh it's a sleep ring and uh, there's a lot of commercials on about it, the aura ring. It's become huge. And basically, you wear the ring and it tracks your sleep, your readiness um, to do activities. So if like your heart rate variability is very low, it'll tell you, don't work out today. You're, act- you're tired. You need to recover. Huh. And if, you, if your systems are all online, everything looks good. Today's a good day to work out because you're, you're, you're feeling good our vital signs are telling you that you're ready to move appropriately. And I actually think that is a really good thing because the more we learn about our readiness to work out our feelings, I think it's better for us to like, okay, I don't have to be so structured with this. If I know that, you know, my resting heart rate is three to four beats off than what it normally is like lower, I'm probably overtraining or fatigued. So I need to skip the gym today or whatever. But if I'm like optimal, I should do something for it. So yeah. that's, I think, a good use of technology because it's like understanding how you act, your systems are working and then how it pushes you towards moving with doing yeah. that, you know? I'd, I'd be curious how like um, 
the quantification of the feeling, because I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's been the hardest thing for me as I've gotten older, coming from a super competitive, like an ultra competitive Mm -hmm. athlete background where we were forced to go full tilt, full time, like all the freaking time. Yeah. And just like, you're tired, suck it up, man. Just force through it. And what I've found as I've gotten older is the days that I'm tired, I kind of toned down a little bit. The days I'm freaking juiced is when I just go balls to the wall. Yeah. Um, but like from a quantification standpoint, is it, is this ring looking at like heart rate? Is it looking at like other things like oxygen? It's real simple. I think it's just heart rate variability, uh, sleep, how much sleep, the quantity of your sleep, the quality of it. Um, and then just kind of your readiness factor. I'm not sure. I'm actually going to get it pretty soon because I have a colleague of mine who loves it. And then I keep seeing more about it. And I was like, I kind of like this because it's simple. (laughs) It's simple. It's not like a lot of these things have like 15 different metrics and stuff. This is like two or three real simple. And, and, and this is being used with athletes and stuff, maybe not the aura ring, but other things where like, you know, athletes will check into their facility and they'll have to get their metric scan and things of that nature. And it'll tell them whether they are, it's appropriate for them to work out or not today, or if you need more recovery. Yeah. And I think that's the big, mistake a lot of athletic programs do is they run their athletes into the ground yeah they 100%. thinking like like quality quantity is is the most important thing 100%. but i kind of don't blame them either because it's not like they knew there was no science behind it but now there's no excuse you could put on so much technology and follow athletes you know their sleep you can know their sat- oxygen saturation levels you know their you can literally keep tabs of people and their systems and go oh, okay you know, Peter, he's tired. I could tell he's tired today. He didn't sleep well, you know, so we need to cut it back for him. Yeah. Whereas a lot of athletic programs, a cookie cutter, you know, they give everybody the same workout, the same yeah. program. That's just laziness. That's just yeah. lazy. It's lazy coaching. Yeah. That's all it is. You know? So do you see, and so a lot of, a lot of stuff that I read says that, um, and just due to kind of like the peer review process mm-hmm. and just the scientific process in general, that a lot of like diet, nutrition and health stuff, fitness stuff is I think like five to 10 years behind the scientific discovery. Mm-hmm. Are you still finding that to be the case or is technology kind of like accelerating and closing that gap at all? I think technology and fitness are accelerating at a similar warp speed in some ways. <laughs> I feel like the technology is growing exponentially. Uh, fitness tracking systems are growing exponentially. The problem though is like, it's not changing anything. It's not making people more active. It's doing nothing. 30 years, the percentage of people exercising has not moved at all. Really? Not changed. It's been 15 to 18% for the past 30 years. No change. Wow. And when you say doing something, does it mean like light physical activity? Just like, you know, the recommendations for, you know, like 30 minutes of activity a day, meeting the daily recommended guidelines for, you know, whether you're uh, strenuous exercise, moderate exercise, because, you know, you have like, if you're a very high performing person, exercise wise, you only need to push it 75 minutes a week. That's it. Max. Whoa. Seriously? That's it. If you are strenuous exercise and you're pretty fit, 75 minutes a week, that's it. Now that's a problem in places like Colorado where over-exercising is horrendous because nobody wants to believe that you can do that little and get a lot out. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're at the peak of your fitness, you really don't have to do much. 75 minutes of intensity, you're good to go. 
moderate. Now you start getting to 150 minutes to 200 minutes a week. And for low intensity exercise, then you're talking three, 400 minutes a week for that. So, so there, I mean, there has to be diminished, like the law of diminishing returns, right? Is it like after you get to that point, whatever that point yeah. is, be it strenuous, moderate or low, yeah. or do you get diminishing returns like after that? Certainly like, um, it was good research studies at the university of Michigan for swimming teams. Uh, it's funny you're in Michigan. Like, oh, yeah. and you know, they do a lot of two a days. you probably did this when you're college. I mean, I did this, you know, two a days. What's, what is two a days? Like why, you know, and a lot of the research, even back in the two thousands was like the second workout was pointless. It actually did nothing. So what was it for mentally toughening you or something or endurance? endurance? Yeah. I mean, I like physiologically it has, no bearing on your actual fitness level for that. So we actually don't need to do as much as we think, but the problem is we're not even doing that. (laughs) That's mind boggling. So that percentage hasn't changed at all. So like all, how do you encourage? Well, I guess what is your, it's not going to change. I don't think it's going to change. Wow. I honestly, this sounds really bad coming from somebody in the business. I have zero expectations that that will change. In fact, I would, I would, I would surmise it's going to get worse over time. Wow, because that of technology. Be, and and a comparison I might be able to draw to that could be people paying for news. That number hasn't changed much at all. Yeah. It's around twenty percent of the population. Mm-hmm. And the the thought in the media industry, the media thought leaders, and I think this is idiotic, by the way, with mm-hmm. where we're going. Their thought is the only way for media to survive is to move towards a 100% pure subscription-based model, Mm. which means keeping all of the quality information behind a paywall. Mm. So Darren, you want to read this article? You got to pay me for it. And what they're saying is like the general public just has to come to terms with (laughs) any sort of quality information, you got to pay for it. And I'm going, this is this, to me, this is the same thing that I had in my head when I was starting the donut. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I love this so much. This is so amazing. We're going to be in a million households in six months. Mm -hmm. It's like, it it just doesn't happen. Like it just doesn't happen. There's a naivete (laughs) to overvaluing your own work and not like you're, I'm serious. Like you're 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 totally right. You're thinking about yourself, right? And you're like, I spent all this time on this. I do such a good job. Like I should be rewarded for it. And you're not thinking about the benefit that you actually give to somebody. And the conversation that our subscribers are going to have is not, Ah, you know, do I pay 10 bucks a month for, I'm, I'm guaranteed I'm going to pay for news because we're not going after that 20%. The mm-hmm. conversation is, do I pay 10 bucks a month for the New York times or do I pay 10 bucks a month for HBO max or discovery yeah. plus or whatever the streaming service or mm-hmm. some sort of entertainment is. And I yeah. guarantee you our under 34 year old audience is 100% of the time going to choose the entertainment one. Oh, yeah. And I don't blame them because I would do the same. I would do it too, man. <laughs> I have done the same exact thing. Yeah. So what I get concerned about, and this is what keeps me up at night, is most quality information or a lot of quality information going behind paywalls. And if Mm. most quality information goes behind paywalls, what type of information is available to most 80%, a plurality Mm. of the population? Yeah. It's shit information. And we know exactly what shit information does. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I didn't know that about news, like that that was a very stagnant thing that you're saying. Yeah. And another issue, another issue you have is like all of these. So you have, uh, you're seeing a lot of consolidation in the media industry and there's like a bunch of local news organizations and national ones that are all fighting for the same subscribers. They're all fighting Mm. for that same finite pie. 
So yeah. if you choose to go that pure subscription based model, you're, there's not enough people to sustain it. Like there's, there's yeah. just not. And then you see like with Tribune Publishing. So I don't know if you're familiar with this deal. Mm-mm. They just got bought by Ald, uh, Alden Global or Alden Capital for like 650 or so million, like around there. And what these hedge funds are known for doing is just stripping um, a lot of the content or the journalistic mm. uh, staff and rolling them into all of their other newspaper chains so they can sell advertising in a single point of contact and pretty much get that advert or that advertiser, that partner, get their message into like 200 plus different okay. local markets. And I can tell you firsthand that these private equity groups do not care about delivering quality information to people. The only thing that they care about is making money. Yeah. And what makes the most money with traffic-based advertising? Mm. Sensationalism. Of course. Divisiveness. Yep. Yeah, man. It's yeah. That's yeah. that's how we're here right now. And I do not see that changing. And this whole goal of like, let's go the subscription model. No, you're gonna see people going belly up and quality information mm. going totally behind paywalls, which is why we are the exact opposite. <laughs> we are we're built to be a hundred percent free in perpetuity yeah. and profitable because yeah. we have a whole new channel distribution model. We'll do right. none of that bullshit where you're on the website. And those programmatic ads are loading. Then it pops up. Read the con- Dude, yeah. It's the most I hate that stuff, man. I it's really hate that. It's so <laughs> frustrating. And you're like Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, and it's like a video is playing, and you're like, what the fuck is this? I don't even want this I video. I don't want like, this video. No. Yeah. <laughs> don't you hate that? I was like, oh, I don't. And it's like really loud. It's like, oh, what is this? I'm like, X, find the X button. I need to get rid of this thing. <laughs> And it's always an ad first, too. And it's it always is. an ad. And it's like, I got to sit through this stupid fucking 30 second yep. ad that I don't care about yep. to get to any sort of like minute long content. My, <laughs> my time is just not there. Like the value for yeah. time is just not there. And I do not appreciate that as a consumer. So I want to value yeah. people's time and I want to deliver a great experience. And I think that's what we do. Yeah, I think you do do that. I mean, there's parallels. Like I didn't know about that. But like when people ask me about, well, how do we get obesity under control and overweight? And I'm like, I don't think I'm the person to talk to about this because I don't see it ending. I don't think there's any end. I think I know for a fact that 68 to 70 percent of the population of America is overweight and obese. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's not going to change. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It will not change because of technology, which is so amazing. We've made our lives too easy. That's the problem. And do you think, why would we go back and make our lives harder? We're not going to do that. We got DoorDash. We got Postmates. We got Uber Eats. You know, we got, we got anything we can do to make us not get up and do anything. That will not change in the future. I'm tell, this is, I've, I've told people this in private. I'm going to say in public. The only way we'll actually get a fitter nation is if, for some reason, the power grid blew out society fell back to the middle ages and you had to start actually farming land you had to be active on a reg if we became hunter-gatherer society again you will see obesity and overweight completely disintegrate very quickly very quickly one this sounds bad a lot of people would die because they couldn't handle it they're not used to that level of work and two it was just you would have to do so much manual labor food would probably be scarce. You would have to go back to actually working to live. And we know this in current hunter-gatherer societies and past, obesity is not even known to those people. They don't even know what it is. 
It doesn't really? exist in the villages at all. They've never seen it. They've never really? heard of it. Yeah. Even the leaders, like the, I'm just thinking of like the kings in feudalism. Even in South America, Africa, and current hunter-gatherer societies, they don't know what it is. They don't know what obesity is. They don't understand why we run for exercise. They don't even know why we do that. You know, what, why would you run just to do it for fun? Huh. Like, so the only way to get back to that is to eradicate technology and kind of sink the world into a, a I guess, dystopian I don't like, know how we get to it with increasing technology. Nobody wants to work harder. <laughs> like, like, he, here's a scenario for you. Have you heard about this theory about this ancient cataclysm that wiped out an ancient civilization? No. Oh my gosh. So what is this? Uh, there's a journalist, a guy named Graham Hancock. And I know who Graham one, Hancock is. Yeah. So he's the biggest proponent of this theory. And um, there's now emerging scientific evidence. It's fairly solidified that there was a cataclysmic event between 10 and 12,000 years ago um, where you had asteroids come in, enter the, the atmosphere. And again, the numbers that these guys toss around are just, it's crazy. Like this, the asteroid entering the atmosphere at 60 to 70,000 miles an hour, it's mm. 10 kilometers wide. As it goes through the atmosphere, it kind of breaks into pieces, impacts the ground, cause a, um, once it impacts the ground, there's this heat ejectorate that mm -hmm. comes out from the asteroid and it set 65 percent of the biomass in north america on fire mm. wow. just gone afterwards but um so the cataclysmic event is solidified like that is there's geological and scientific evidence to show that there was this cataclysmic event that happened yeah. 10 to twelve thousand years ago so where graham hancock comes in is he thinks that in north america there was this ancient advanced civilization that had figured out technologically how to do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And this cataclysmic event wiped out most of the civilization, but the survivors from the civilization, and this is why you see the vestiges of like um, consistent themes within myths, consistent concepts mm -hmm. through cultures that were supposed to have no contact with each other right. um, at all. Yeah. He thinks that there was these vestiges of this ancient civilization that kind of spread out and continued their civilization after being wiped out from this cataclysmic event. And you can still see vestiges of it today yeah. in um, unearthed archeological remains that have consistencies uh, between cultures, spiritual consistencies, yeah. astronomical consistencies between cultures who had zero contact with each other as far as we know. Wow, wow. Graham Hancock's, I ever hear this guy talk, man. He's totally into psychedelics, hardcore, really? man. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he is. I was like, oh, this guy. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'll give you 12 ayahuasca sessions and you'll be cured. And I'm like, dude, I did one and with psychedelics and I felt amazing. I was like, <laughs> going back in in July, by the way. So don't <laughs> be good to go, man. <laughs> what, what was the, the first one like? Because I've only tried, um, I haven't gotten anything crazy or um, I guess, uh organized it's just been mm -hmm. more micro dosing sure. kind of things i've never really had an yeah. actual like psychedelic trip it's pretty wild man it's <laughs> i feel like it's life-changing it's like uh i feel like be uh, okay let me restate this because i want to be i want to be responsible in saying this that if you are like bipolar or schizophrenic this is not something you should be doing and we know that through a lot of research related to that, you know, with psychosis. 
However, for all the other individuals, I think psychedelics should be available to all humans outside of that, should be, should be consumed by all humans at some point in their adulthood for that. Because I think that, I think we talked about this last time. I think the world is going through a strange metamorphosis of spirituality. And I think people want spirituality. They just don't like how it's being delivered to them at this point. And we know this through huge research and uh, studies currently that, you know, 87% of people believe in God, but the increase, but the, there's a massive decrease in church membership for that. So it's not like atheism's on the rise, agnosticism's on the rise, none of that. It's just that the delivery of spirituality is, is not caught up with the, the humans, how humans want it presented to them. And I think psychedelics is a great jumping off point to experience spirituality in a way that probably was meant to be experienced. Yeah, that's, that, re- that. that's really interesting because a lot of, again, going back to Hancock, a lot, yeah. of, his, um, a lot of his thoughts were... Because uh, he he excavates or works on excavation excavations yeah. of megalithic structures, right, which right. seem to have some sort of like spiritual tie into yeah. the societies that he's talking about. Yeah. And through some of the remains and stuff that he sifted through and talked to archaeologists about, it appears that they had some sort of like either ayahuasca or yeah. some other type of of psychedelic yeah. ceremony and placed a ceremonial importance on these types of substances yeah and his whole thing and i mean i think this is kind of what we're dancing around is um he's concerned we might be a species with amnesia and not really even know our own history and maybe we're trying to get back to our roots with that i I think i don't know i think so and i think a lot of religion has uh psychedelic roots to it but i think uh, i think if you would talk to anybody inside you know pastors um, bishops or anything, they would deny that. They they don't. They would think, oh, we don't want our congregation, you know, doing those types of things. But I, I would like to see somebody in that level embrace it, actually, yeah. and be like, because because honestly, the world is going is starting to embrace it and understanding this isn't this isn't alcohol, this isn't weed, this isn't whatever else is. This is a totally different thing. This is a, you know, the research called it as an entheogen. It's a spiritual drug. And it's how it's been used. It's so ancient. It's, it's ceremonial and meant for you to feel closer to spirituality. And, and Graham Hancock's the same way in, in the uh, Immortality Key. Uh, he writes the foreword in that. And Brian Mirakeshu, I think, I can't remember his last name, but he's the one that talks about the research about ayahuasca and beer and um, psychedelics and ancient ceremonies. I have the book right here, actually, in my library, and it talks about um, that a lot of times ancient um, spirituality was based off of connecting closer to God through psychedelics uh, for that. So I think we've just forgotten about that. I believe in that, that amnesia. We've forgotten how powerful these things are and that people from all across the world travel to different parts of South America just to feel closer and to break addiction and to become whole again why are we denying that for people you know and to to be clear too like these are very powerful substances that should not be abused right no taken in moderation in the right way i think and a guided 
right. and a guide. Like I had a guide when I did it. I didn't like just go, hey man, let's just, you know. <laughs> you know. Joshua Tree, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I know a lot of people who've done psychedelics and like they did it in a very stupid way. Like, you know, they tried to party with it. It's not a party thing. It's definitely not that. You know, having a guide, I think, is really, really important. And even for me, like, I feel like in the future, I want to become a certified psychedelic therapist. I've definitely bounced around the idea of doing it because I believe in it. That in conjunction with my my faith, I think it would be very powerful and oh. to, to be a leader in that. Man, connect like connecting those two would, to me, be really, really interesting. Yeah. A, a lot of, um, and I grew up, Catholic and I'm probably one of those people except I've kind of removed myself from mm. the the faith and just the kind of spiritual belief in a higher power because mm. I just don't know yet and I, mm. I want to explore more options because the thing uh -huh. I can't remove myself from is I feel like religion is a circumstance of birth mm -hmm. and if and I've talked to, to priests and bishops mm -hmm. in the, the Catholic church, and I can't get over the impression that the, the thought or the feeling is that if you're Catholic, you know more and you're better than somebody else in a different religion. Uh -huh. And yeah, I, yeah. I cannot reconcile that thought with religion sure. being a circumstance of birth. Mm -hmm. I haven't found anybody to, to be able to reconcile that with yeah. me yet. And I also haven't explored like Hinduism, Buddhism, like I haven't sure. explored a, a, enough yet. Um, but what I've seen from the Catholic church growing up to kind of now today, and just this general loss of trust or eroding of trust in institutions, mm -hmm. I really think the internet and the information age gave people the ability to know that throughout history, these institutions have lied to us and mm -hmm. they've been corrupt and they haven't actually embodied the standards and ideals that they claim to embody. Right. And if that's the case, you really want to be a part of something that's hypocritical and you recognize yeah. it's hypocritical i wouldn't i know yeah. so I, I mean that to me might be part of our like crisis of purpose and spirit yeah and i think there's also 30 diff 30 000 different denominations of christianity Holy cow. and no wonder why people are confused you know you have everything from like super hippie out there versions of Christianity to uh, crazy um, fundamentalist fire and hell driving Christianity. And so people are very confused. They don't understand like, okay, why would, I think honestly, that's kind of like the weird thing about like what you've seen with Christianity and QAnon is that you have people who are very like, well, I'm, I'm pulling away from Christianity because why are these like crazy evangelicals super into QAnon? Why would pastors be saying QAnon's great and the great awakening? Because it's, it's antithetical to the actual teachings of humility, kindness, goodness, love, forgiveness. And people go, see, you're a hypocrite. You believe in Christianity and yet you support something like QAnon or you, you're super into Trump. And, and that's the opposite of what that is. And that confuses people. That can, it just does. And they're like, I'm not gonna be a part of something that says one thing and then supports a different thing for that. Labels, labels man. It's like, and yeah. I see it all the time too, with people that I chat with. Um, and again, I get all of these responses from mm -hmm. the newsletters and it's everyone from like extraordinarily thoughtful, nuanced, respectful responses, yeah. which I would say is the vast majority of them. But 
there are the crazies, right? And there are the crazies on yeah, both sides. Uh, and a lot of what I hear from the crazies on both sides is they speak to caricatures of arguments or yeah. they lump an entire group of people in with each other. So for yeah. instance, like if you say that you're a Christian, well, automatically somebody associates, as you mentioned, Christian with Trump QAnon. <laughs> yeah. Like I already know you, I place you in that freaking yeah. little bucket. But the issue with that is it's, a characteristic that doesn't actually explain what's beneath that outward characteristic. No. And I don't like that. I don't like that at all. And I do not like this ascribing um, a group to have these characteristics. Like, I, yeah. I don't like that. So you say like, all black people do this, all white sure. people do this, all Asian people do this. It's like, yeah. are they not individuals? Do they not, yeah. are there, is there not disparity between a group? <laughs> and oh, by the way, what you're talking about is an immutable outward characteristic that cannot be changed. So if yeah. we're gonna ascribe characteristics to these immutable outward characteristics that yeah. don't actually drive behavior, like what? Well, maybe they do, because that's probably yeah. societal or cultural, but you get kind of like the, you get the point I'm going for, yeah. placing people yeah. in buckets. And then ascribing a whole bunch of qualities and characteristics to people in these buckets that probably aren't true. Yeah. No, it's 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 true. As I was on a, plan, a panel of all a black panel for like um, my college, and we had a discussion kind of off air about like why don't you know just because we're black doesn't mean we all have like the similar uh, feelings of blackness or that we ascribe to the same things. And I think you can take that to a lot of different areas, whether it be religion or, you know, politics. I mean, how are you, it's just like, how are you and not maybe like indoctrinated into it? Like say, I've always had a positive experience with religion, but I know a lot of people who haven't. So obviously my point of view, how I feel about it's going to be different than someone else's point of view with that. So I always say it's like, it always comes back down to like, you know, what happens in the beginning. Who do you come from? Who are these people that you come from? Where do you grow up? We spend all this time on other stuff, but we never look backwards and go, maybe we should check out like, why did these people have kids? They're horrible. They're broken. Broken humans produce broken humans all the time. And then we want to blame it on other stuff all the time. Oh, Is your there... parents are assholes. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Is there, uh, and this is another thing that I've been really curious about is like, I, I feel like I had great parents, but like now I'm, yeah. I'm looking back on stuff and I'm going, yeah. well, and um, this is not to devalue them or sure. what they've done because they're amazing. They're incredible. Mm -hmm. I love them to death, but I will say all of the issues that I've dealt with in my life stem from them and yeah. stem from childhood. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed with my peers and just people in the world in general is I don't think that's unique to me. It's not unique to me. Like everybody's fucked up in some way. Yeah, it's definitely so, I guess, not unique to you. Yeah. So I guess my question is like, can anybody be a perfect parent? No, no. But I definitely like, <laughs> I was watching a show last night. This cracked me up. This is, and it was like a true crime story. And this guy was on the stand and they were like, why did you say that you threw this person in a wood chipper? He's like, oh, it's just something I would say to my kids too. Like you messed up. I'm going to throw you in the wood chipper. I was like, okay, that's crazy. Okay. You realize like people say dumb stuff like this when they're parents. And I think like my biggest thing is like, if you're a parent, love and accountability, those are the two, two markers of a good parent. If your parents showed you love and they told you they loved you, they showed you and they, were, they made you accountable for your actions. That's pretty much most of what you can do. The rest of it, I don't know, man. You just gotta deal with the fallout. But I think that we don't explore that side of the equation enough because watch every single one of these shows you watch, 
and somebody's crazy, you go, oh, look at the dad. Look yeah. at the mom. <laughs> like yeah, They didn't right. have a shot, man. You know, it's like they were abused and all this stuff. It's like, man, always starts in the beginning. But we, you know, it's hard to look backwards because we don't want to face that, that truth. It's hard, it's hard to face that, like, because when you become an adult, I mean, you know, like, you start evaluating your parents when you get older. Who are these people? Were they actually good people? You know, like, and if you're not doing that, you're just, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. It's, it's just naturalized. And you should, like, would I be friends with these people if I wasn't related to them? Like, honestly, like I would with my parents, they're they're excellent parents. I have nothing bad to say about them. They were excellent parents. I thought they did a phenomenal job. Yeah. End of story. Like that was, and but you know what? I know so many people, I would say 90% of my people would know, I know that did not happen. That did not happen. That my thing is the exception I've learned, yeah. not the rule. The rule is like pretty messed up from what I've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same same here, man. And I feel very, so lucky and so grateful because like my my parents 100%, um, I would now hang out with. Their yeah. Family. It wasn't always the case. And I would <laughs> say they, they, have, they have gotten a lot better um, yeah. with age too. Because one of the biggest, the biggest things that I never felt safe or at home mm-hmm. when I was younger was uh, I didn't feel like I could be myself. Or I always felt like I was being judged for being yeah. who I was, like extraordinarily judged. Yeah. So much so, like, why are you like that? You know, yeah, you should yeah. be like this, like that, that kind of yeah. thing. And you know, that's changed as I've gotten older. Sure. And it's also made me who I am today. Because nowadays, like, when I was uh, when I was younger, my parents would, or not my parents, my mom specifically would was very extraordinarily loving. Maybe too much so that she mm-hmm. would want to have control or like know everything that was going on and be like no you can't do that yeah you can do that yeah. to kind of like an extreme extent where I wasn't able to be me or be myself and now that I've gotten older it's like uh try and tell me what to do I fucking dare you <laughs> right? like seriously try and that's that's for that's for everybody else <laughs> so again there's the, the trade-off right between like Maybe mm-hmm. I might not have appreciated it so much as a kid, but like now that I'm older and I'm reflecting back on the childhood, it's like it made me who I am today. And would mm-hmm. I want to change that? I don't think I don't think so. Yeah, I, really, I like who I am today, and I like yeah. kind of where we're heading, and I like um, just being able to do kind of like what I want and having the freedom to mm-hmm. do what I want because I never had that when I was younger. So yeah. just, I'm so grateful for it. I'm actually a big fan of like more toughness in parenting. Uh, because I feel like having a almost 10 year old child and seeing how people are with kids, I feel like they're a little too soft. Yeah. You know, it's like a lot of snow plow, snow plow parenting, helicopter parenting. It's like everything to keep your kid from being hurt by things in yes. life. I'm all for toughness. Like I always tell my daughter, I said, listen, if you do well, I will tell you, you did well. If you mess up, you better believe I'm going to tell you, you messed up. And in both, I'm going to, I'm going to be, equal on both those things. And I say, listen, I'm not going to accept excuses or lies that I'll never accept. The yeah. truth I'll always accept, even if I don't like it, I'll accept it for that. But you got to be tough. And I think that's, that's kind of part of this larger societal issue too, is like, we got a lot of like kid gloves on adults yeah. too now, man. We're like, don't say this to me. <laughs> like, yeah. You said something mean to me, get yeah. rid of them. <laughs> oh my God. Right. Like, uh, man, I'm just what do like, you mean? 
when I was younger, my, and pro- it's problem. I mean, problem solving and coddling huh. and just acquiescing to demands. I see it with a lot of my peers too. And I just, yeah. I, I laugh about it with, um, with my, my friends who don't have kids because we're yeah. like, Oh, so are you raising your kid or is the iPad raising your kid? <laughs> yeah. you know, or like, what's, what's yeah. going on here? Cause I, I also see a lot of, uh, Oh, like mom, can I have this? No, mm-hmm. no, sweetie. You can't have that but please, <laughs> no, really, I really want it. Okay. This one time. And then I think like, what you're kind of talking about yeah. is like standing firm being like, no, I said, yeah. no. Right? I, said I, like, no. I just said, no, you can't have that. I say no all the time to my daughter. And sometimes I think, man, I, I, I you got to balance it because you feel like you're a no machine all the time, but you know, you got to remember you're raising a human to go out into the world and interact with other humans. And Dave Chappelle said this, and I thought this was one of the best things to say about uh, producing another human or raising another human is you have the opportunity to put someone else into the world who will extinguish hate, who will be a beacon of light to other humans. But I don't think people look at parenting that way. They often look at it like, this is my possession. This is my friend. I have this baby, baby is this going to complete me, be my friend versus like, this is a project, a loving project to put out another human into the world who could drastically change and alter the fortunes of other humans in a positive way for that. Let me ask you this question. I talk to classrooms a lot and I get very, very encouraged, extraordinarily encouraged about the future when I talk to the kids and I hear how the kids talk and how curious they are and how accepting and open-minded and loving and compassionate and kind, like they're going to create a great future if that continues. Do you see that with your 10 year old and kind of her peers as well? Yeah. I actually think that the children of today and the young people of today have um, this cognitive awareness or this kind of fifth sense that I didn't have growing up. I considered myself kind of a stereotypical stupid kid, like just sort of like the blow up stuff, you know, run around, <laughs> you know, whereas I think these kids are like really their feelings oriented. They, they feel things much deeper than I felt that I did or my peers did when I was growing up. And I think that's such a positive thing, which is why I think overall, and you and I talked about this, there, there will be less violence in the world. It's already happening. You know, regardless of what you see out there in the news, there's actually less violence happening worldwide. And I can see that continuing to dive because of the humans that are coming up. And I think also people are not just like going into parenthood, like, oops, all the time. I think more people are actually planning to be parents. They want it, but they don't want to have a lot of kids. They want to have a few kids or one kid, and they really want to pour into that person. And what happened, I think, when I was growing up and before that is like you had these really large families. And unfortunately, when you have like seven, eight kids, you know, the parents are worn out, man. You know, like you got brothers and sisters raising each other. You got a 15 year age gap. It's almost impossible to have cohesiveness in a family when it's that large. You know, so I think some of the kids kind of just, you know, they don't get a lot of attention and they act out. Whereas now, as I think family planning is, it's really becoming targeted, like they want it or they don't want it. And I I know more young people now who don't want children. Tons of, actually, most of my friends have no kids, no kids. Are they, are they like thirties, forties? Thirties, forties. They just don't want kids. They just, they just, 
And I think a lot of women don't want children these days because you have to think women were essentially forced to have children in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and then, you know, birth control coming around. And I think as we've made women more prominent in society, more educated, there is there, and rightfully so, these are great things that women are having voices and saying, you know what? I don't need to be expected to be a mom. That should not be an expectation of me. And I say, that's great. That's great. You shouldn't be forced to do something you don't want to do. Of course not. And I think women are smarter than men, man. I want to see more yes. women. I want to see more yes. women running shit. They're smarter than me. They produce so. a human in their body. That alone like, makes it way better than dudes. It's, unbelievable. it's like unbelievable. Can yeah, you it's... grow something inside of your body that's not deadly? <laughs> I think that's uh, that's funny. It's, I think it's a Rogan, uh, a Rogan yeah. bit too. That's yeah. what that reminds me of. At least he says something like uh, to the effect of like, and again, this is a joke, and I'm parroting somebody else. Don't sure. get mad at me for saying this. Yeah. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your, your yeah. listeners. I know you won't get mad at me, but um, but he says something to the effect of like, "Women, what are we doing? Like, how much more do y'all want? Like, you already make all of the people." <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think that's that's a lot You're of the making same. people. I mean, how amazing is that? But you should have the right to not make people if you don't, Agreed. and you shouldn't be pressured by other people who go, "I can't believe you don't have kids." Like, guess what? You know what? It's fine obligatory parenting because you think you should, it's actually not good. I no. mean, because then you get up having children that you don't want because somebody told me you, you should, your mother, your father said, where's my grandkids at and stuff, you know, that stuff needs to die in my opinion. Yeah. It's like, if my daughter never has a child, I'm all good with it because you know what? Ain't my life. It's her life. Why would I care? It's it, I, of course, if I had grandchildren, I would be pumped. But if I didn't, I'd also be pumped. <laughs> like, yeah. So the, the reason's important. The reasons. So if the reason is like, well, I guess I'm supposed to do this. Just like I'm supposed to go to college. Why? I mean, like, you don't have to go to college. Newsflash, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to go to college. Even if yeah, your you, parents have good intentions and they want you to go, you don't have to go. Amen. You, I had a great experience. Peter, I'm sure you had a great experience at Michigan State, experience. right? I mean, we both love college, but I mean, you don't have to do it. I, mean, <laughs> I, I When we hire people, when resumes get sent, I toss that out. I don't give a shit where you went to college. I do. I literally do not care. So right. give you an example. Our, um, our managing editor uh, went to Michigan for a couple of years and then dropped out. And this is the most brilliant human being I have literally ever met in my life. Yeah. And yeah. you're going to tell me that two years of college negates that brilliance? Like, no. And as oh. far as the real world goes, does college actually prepare you for the real world, <laughs> the workforce? Fuck no, it doesn't. I guarantee that. Like, you don't need to memorize equations. You don't need to know any no, equations. Guess what know. you have? You got Google. And I can <laughs> you tell you Google. firsthand. I can tell you firsthand. I have worked in a lot of different places. And most people do not really know conceptually a lot of stuff. But figure it out. Figure it out. And that's just how the world works. And college should be more about like figuring things out. Or if you don't want to go to college, totally fine. You don't need to. Because yeah. as long as you can problem solve, you can figure stuff out, just get into doing something that you love and just keep yeah. doing it. That's that's yeah. it. That's like the biggest thing I would I would suggest. And then just don't stop. Like just don't stop. Don't stop. The secret to success is not, it's not that complicated. It's find something you love, 
start like that's sometimes <laughs> it's just like i'm serious like start, start. like you just gotta start just man. Start. <laughs> right and there, but there's so much fear and maybe like apprehension and yeah. you know like again that responsibility aspect that i alluded to earlier that probably start stops people from starting like just even beginning to do something and yeah. i don't want to live that life of quiet desperation that thoreau quote yeah, most men right. live lives of quiet desperation so my thought is just like start something you fail it fucking fine get up yeah. and just keep moving on because yeah. the secret again is find something you love start doing it or just start yeah doing something and then don't stop that's it my business partner says it all the time you just got to keep going you just got to like keeps doing you know i run into that with my podcast all the time and i you know chat with other podcasters and they're like how have you done 300 plus episodes i'm like i just do it every week i don't know it's like it's not like it's like like oh i put this formula together and sprinkled this thing i just do it every week i don't (laughs) And I don't have really any expectations, man. I just do it. And then whatever, whatever comes, comes, whatever doesn't, at least I'm having a good time. (laughs) Have have you ever seen the distribution of the amount of videos it took YouTube creators to get to uh, a certain, No, dude, it's nuts. So like most of the people who got to a million followers uh, put out at least a thousand videos. Whoa, that's crazy. So just think about that for, that's, that's That's like crazy. thousand videos 1000 videos there's like three times the amount of podcasts that like that's over three crazy. times the amount of podcasts yeah. just to get to a million but most that's people crazy. don't even most people don't even get to your 300 i know that's the nutsy thing and like and you know the funny the first thing people ask me to go well what's your revenue generating model for your podcast i'm like i don't know <laughs> like i just do it man and then stuff happens like Last week, I randomly, I was talking to somebody and then I was like, oh, I run a radio station in Salem, Oregon. I would like to put your podcast on Monday nights there. I'm like, okay. It's not like I thought it was going to happen or I knew it was just like, you start, first of all, if somebody puts out the donut every week for like years and years and years, they go, okay, I don't think this person's a loser. I think, (laughs) you know, they're like doing this regularly. There's something going on here. If I see somebody did a thousand episodes of a podcast, I'd go, that person has a lot of consistency and discipline. Yeah. That's what I think, regardless of who listens to it. I go, there's something there. There's something there. If you could do that for that long and keep going, that's a person I want to know. Dude, I say it all the time. Like those are the people that I want want to work with and to work for me are the people who I I don't care if you have talent. I I really don't. Mm -hmm. Like talent really helps. It it definitely helps. Skill definitely helps. But you know what supersedes all of that? Desire. 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 Like, can you imagine how much better? Like, I don't know if you do this. I do this all the time. Like I go back to our very first newsletters and I like cringe, man. I like, I get nauseous. I get sick of (laughs) them. Man, these are so bad. Like they're so bad, but like doing this over 300 episodes or almost two years for me or a thousand videos for those YouTube creators. Imagine how much better you get. You just get better. You do get better. You get better interviewing people. I'm sure you guys put out better content. I saw you change like the format mm-hmm. of it. And you guys are doing that. You're doing like questionnaires and all this stuff. And like, same thing for me. Like now I have like graphics for each YouTube episode. You know, I have a whole like um, written up thing that I give people after they're done. I send them all, all the links. Like I'm always refining the show yeah. and the behind the scenes stuff. Like the desire to get it to be more sophisticated, more seamless get uh you know more guests 
you know, and now it's like, I'm sure you experience, you know, traction with, with the donut, you know, as you get bigger, instead of you reaching out, people start reaching to you. There's a, there's a, there's a turning point when you stop having to reach so much because you're getting reached out to so much for that, but that takes time. Yeah, I mean, a lot of time. that's just a lot of, and my first couple episodes, the audio was terrible. I mean, it was scratchy sounding. I didn't have the microphone. I, I mean, this is like my fourth microphone. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And you probably refined it along the way. You keep right? refining with the it. lower quality, got better, a little bit better. Yeah. Maybe you're not at a sure yet. I can't tell, but like getting there. Yeah. You know, so you just, you just keep going. As you, you said, you're so right about that. You keep going. And you just keep plugging away. And I think the hard thing is you don't know where it leads. That's, I think is hard is never knowing what the payoff would be or what it could be. It's just putting your head down and just, just running, you know, mile after mile. Have you ever seen that graphic of the dude mining um, where uh, I'll see if I can dig it up and send it to you, Mm -hmm. but it's a split kind of like comic type graphic. And in the top, it's this dude with a pickaxe walking back dejectedly from um his, i guess where he was mining but what you see in the graphic is he was so close to this pocket of diamonds like mm. this massive pocket of diamonds and the whole point of the graphic is you never know like you never know what's just around the corner mm. like whatever you've been searching for whatever goal that you've been striving to achieve like you never really know how close you are to it because mm. there could be something that happens like um have you ever seen the the SMU 30 for 30? Yes. So I met the guy who directed that. And the story behind the guy who directed it is wow. amazing. Thaddeus Matula is the guy's name. And he was telling me about what it took to actually put this film together. And the film came together in like two to four weeks. But he was in his mid-40s. He thought of himself as a failed documentary filmmaker while he was putting together the SMU film, he had no buyer, no distribution, nothing. He's self-financing, getting his power shut off, eviction notices on his door. Guy keeps going. And what he ended up, um, how everything ended up kind of coming together, he met a guy at a high school reunion. This guy he met at a high school reunion, he's like, oh, what you been up to, man? He's like, I'm just doing this thing at SMU, blah, 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 blah. And this was around the time that um, Bill Simmons from ESPN was leaving and bill simmons was the mastermind behind 30 for 30 and they had an smu piece what which fell through so the the director who was supposed to do a piece on smu just ended up not wanting to do the project Mm. so they had this open slot in this 30 for 30 kind of plan that they had already laid out and the guy he met at the high school reunion knew somebody because he's from hollywood who worked for espn so he's like you know what i'll see what i can do for you so this guy ends up going back to la he runs into, again, this is completely random, a different person who ends up being a New York-based producer of ESPN's 30 for 30. He's like, wait a second, you know this guy with the, like this SMU piece? Like, let's talk some more about this. Yeah. Flies the guy out to New York. And by the way, Thaddeus, this entire time has no idea this stuff's going on. <laughs> guy's still living in like, making like ramen in the wow. dark and like all that stuff. And two to four weeks after he went to do to the high school reunion, he gets a call from his buddy. And his buddy's like, how do you want your film to be on ESPN? Wow. That's yeah. crazy. Just got to keep going. Man. You don't know how, I love that. You don't know how close you actually are. You, you don't know? know. That's the magic. I was like, man, every step that you take, 
you could be getting closer to something phenomenal. You just got to keep going. And I, I believe in the longevity of that. It's, you always hear it about artists and stuff. I, I remember like, you know, DMX passed away not that long ago. And uh, I, I love listening to X back in the day. And I remember watching like his, uh, it was like behind the music back in the day. It's hilarious. But they were saying like, you know, you think, oh, he's DMX had two number one albums in the same year. And I remember that year so vividly, but he had spent like 10 to 12 years of like no notoriety, like nothing, just freestyling in the streets of New York clubs. Like nobody knew who he was, nobody. And then like, he just, he just kept going. He just kept doing it. I mean, it's 10 years, man, 10, 11, 12 years oh, of nothing, like nothing, <laughs> nothing. That's a long time. That's a, like a long time to hustle and to have like really nothing happen, you know? What keeps you going? You think like, so I, I don't even know what it is for me to be perfectly frank. Mm. Uh, so like what, it, cause I know there's peaks and valleys, obviously. Yeah. Right? And I know you probably go through them the same as I do. Cause I look mm. at, you know, when we're successful, obviously it's a peak. And then yeah. when, at least for me, you get down on some days, bad stuff happens, people yeah. leave. And then you, at least for me, I think about like how much more work is left. Like there's so much more work left. Yeah. And then I get kind of like down. So yeah. like what gets you kind of over that, that hump when you're feeling like that? A good question. Um, I don't know. I think I just tell myself it'll be better the next day. I don't know. Like that's literally, <laughs> that's a pretty simple thing. Like I don't, I just go, you know, sometimes like I love being in the fitness business, but like there's some days I don't want to be in it where I look at all the clients that have to train today and they're wonderful people. If you guys listen to this, I'm not saying anything bad. <laughs> just, <laughs> even if you love something, there's some days you just don't want to do it. You know, yeah. you want to check out and, but you know, it's kind of like, okay, this is just a feeling I'm having today about it. And tomorrow I'll probably feel different or I'll evaluate. Did I eat enough today? Is my mindset weird because I'm just like hungry? You know, like I think about the systems going on, like, why am I feeling like this? Am I genuinely down about it? And I think usually the next day I'm okay. You know, yeah. and I just, or I just tell myself, this is just part of the process, man. And I think when you've been an athlete and you know, this, nobody sees the training. They just see you playing in a baseball game or running at a meet or catching a football. And it's so monotonous, the training, and you don't want to do it sometimes, but you know, everything is for that moment you think will arrive that you, you know, yeah. and sometimes it doesn't arrive, you know, you maybe to win a national championship or, you know, go to the college world series, whatever, or you, you know, be an all American, maybe that will happen. Maybe you won't, you know, what's, but the process, the benefit of the process, I think is important. I think it's really important. And I've learned that with my podcast too. It's like before the pandemic, I mean, I thought I was on my way to having like a massive podcast. I mean, my listens were going nuts. I was like, oh my gosh, this thing's going to be like huge. And then, you know, once the pandemic hit, people weren't commuting yeah. and they weren't listening to podcasts in their car. And so it went down quite a bit and it made me reevaluate and go, okay, Am I doing this to get a lot of people to listen to it? Or am I just doing it because I just like talking to people? Yeah. I was like, I just like talking to people. And the numbers are going to go wherever they're going to go. I have a career, two careers. This is just for fun. I, yeah. I need to enjoy this. 
And who never, you never know. I don't know what's around the corner for it, but my goal is to do a thousand episodes. That's my goal. <laughs> That's yeah. my goal. I want to get to a thousand. Now it's going to take me like another five years, but I feel like if I can get to a thousand episodes, I will have done something really cool for a long time. Yeah. I don't know what else is going to happen after that, but I mean, so a lot of it is like the feeling of enjoyment you get and also this, the future sense of accomplishment. Yeah. Like I stuck it out. Like I actually did something worthwhile for a really long time. And I also think that there's magic in meeting people like this. And like, I didn't know you before this, you know, I know you because of this podcast. I know so many people because of this podcast that I would have never met if I hadn't done it, you know? And that to me is just really valuable. Meeting people that I thought I would never meet. Um, So fun, like next week, I'm interviewing the dude from uh, Tag Team who does the Scoop There It Is commercial from Geico. (laughs) And we're we're chatting on my podcast next week. I think that's pretty funny. Like I wouldn't be doing that if I didn't have a podcast. I would have no reason really be like, okay whatever, you know, I like the music back in the day. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> I don't know, you know, it's like, so I think there's magic in meeting people. And I think if you meet enough people that are meaningful in your life, how can you go wrong with that? Something amazing is going to happen. It, it may not be what you think is going to be, but something amazing is going to happen. I mean, like, look, when I met you, you were all squared up, tight looking. Ah. Now you look like you're the lead singer of a rock band. <laughs> I, am, I am. That's that's what I moonlight as. Yeah. You know, I'm in Austin, live music capital of the world. I got right. to stage a little bit. I actually did that one time. Did I ever tell you that, ever tell you that no. story? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to run after this. But this Yo, be just good tell ending. me the story and we're oh, done. Oh, <laughs> God, this would be a good ending. So are, are you familiar? Have you, have you been to Austin? I forget. I, I have, yeah. You have okay. So do you remember Sixth Street? Have you heard of mm-hmm. Sixth Street at all? Yeah. So Sixth Street's like the now it's turned into the kind of like college scene. But okay. if you want to get freaking wild and like these, I guess dive bars, yeah, college bars for lack of a better term, Sixth Street's the place to go. Yep. So yep. when uh, this is a few years ago, I just gotten out of a relationship and you know was going out with my buddy, and obviously you can imagine the sentiment. It's like oh, sure. you know fuck that girl like i'm yeah, just gonna yeah. get over her and I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. as many people as possible and that. So, <laughs> so it was me and my buddy and we get to a place called uh oh my gosh i forget what it's called it it has a the the name it's like the monkey jug or something mm-hmm. like that it has it has monkey in the title and they had a, a live band playing and probably 200 or so people it's like a rectangular bar so you walk in the front and it's not very wide, but it's really deep. And the stage was as soon as you walk in to the front right. So we walk in, get a couple of drinks, and then we run into this bachelorette party. And we kind of hit it off with the bachelorette party. And what the persona I had adopted, because I kind of like when we go out pretending <laughs> I'm somebody and then having a conversation with somebody in that kind of industry and yes. just seeing, seeing how long uh, I could hold the conversation for. So for instance, like if I ran into an astronaut, I'd be like, oh yeah, I actually work at NASA. Right? And then try and like see how long I can hold that conversation for. So what I had ended up um, going with this time was uh, I was a singer, right? Like I had a great voice, it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. And what I really wanted to do is I really wanted to serenade the bride, right? Like, would you let me do that? Mm-hmm. And I figured they're gonna say no, right? There's a live band up here, like all that yeah. jazz. But what ended up happening is the maid of honor, unbeknownst to me, went to talk to the band. Oh, 
convinced the band that I was a singer and I was going to put on a performance <laughs> for the bride. <laughs> so the band stops playing. They go, all right, we got a surprise for y'all like this. We're going to bring somebody up from the crowd. Apparently yeah. he can sing. He's going to sing Justin Bieber's Sorry. And he's going to oh serenade my. the bride right here. And they were not happy about this, by the way, because when I got up on stage, I'm thinking I'm going to get some sort of musical accompaniment. Yeah. They're like, nah, you're done, man. So <laughs> I'm sitting up there by myself. <laughs> I can't sing. I have convinced this entire bachelorette party that I can sing. So I start to try and sing Justin Bieber. Sorry. Try to get the first words out. And guess what happens, dude? Forget all of the words. Oh, no. Forgot all of the words. Oh, no. There's hundreds of people in this bar. This awesome live band was just playing. They stopped. All eyes are on me because I think something great's going to happen. Yeah. I can't sing. And I forgot all the words on top of that. <laughs> so what ended up happening is I just went like, I don't know the words to the song, mm -hmm. but is it too late to say I'm sorry now? Yeah. I got to go. Drop the mic and we walked out the door. <laughs> and I don't know what happened after that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a story, man. I mean, there's a lot of things going on with you. I don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find out, man. I'm an enigma. I'm an yes. enigma. Listen, man, Peter, always a pleasure, my friend, to speak with you. It's, it's so right. much fun. Always hey, fun. I, I always enjoy it, man. It's always yeah. a pleasure. And I look forward to our next ones. I yeah, know, uh, me too. You know, we got the quarterly one. So I always wonder. Um, I always look. I'm like, man, how much more time do I have to go before I talk to Dan? <laughs> oh, that's nice, man. That's really cool. Well, listen, man, we'll be in touch. And uh, I wish you the best, always. Always. Thank you, man. Can I, I, uh, can I plug the, the donut? Yeah, please. Do it. Yeah, of course. So um, I run a news and media company. It's called The Donut. Uh, check us out. We send out a daily newsletter, packs the highest impact news into a fun, objective, less than five minute read each morning. My goal is to be the antithesis to everything we hate about the news. Hopefully you kind of got that gist mm -hmm. when we were talking about those stupid freaking news websites. But uh, you can check us out at thedonut.co. That's T-H-E-D-O-N-U-T dot C-O. Sign up for the newsletter. Let me know what you think. I get all of the, the email replies. Um, I think we're doing something amazing here. And I really want to have some sort of positive, large-scale impact on the world. And you subscribing to the newsletter helps us do that. So check us out, thedonut.co. Check them out. And you can check them out on 6th Street in Austin. Nah, yeah. <laughs> or Rainy Street. Rainy Street's not... <laughs> Or West Sixth, because I think 6th. I'm like bougie now. You know? He'll be he'll be fronting your favorite cover band. Okay. <laughs> He's got I'll the take look. requests. Yeah, I like yeah. Justin Bieber stuff, but I think I can yeah. also sing a little bit of Coldplay. So okay, so Chris Martin, he'll be Chris Martin. Love it. I love awesome. it. We got the same voice. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for right, listening to this episode of Doctor D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review my dad's show on Apple podcast in the rate and review section. Thanks everyone.